privilege to be living in extraordinary and prophetic times, but there is much confusion about the truth. And some commentators say that we're living in a post-truth age. With so much uncertainty of whose narrative actually to trust, the atmosphere is ripe for a big delusion in the near future. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Daring. In psychiatry, the definition of a delusion is a fixed false belief that's resistant to reason or a confrontation with actual fact. And I believe that definition seems to describe so much that's going on in the news. People are no longer listening to common sense, to facts, and to reason. And Satan is in the business of deluding so many. The Apostle Paul spoke some very weighty words in the New Testament in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 concerning the future anti-Messiah whose coming, Paul said, will be after the working of Satan with all power in signs and lying wonders and with all deception of unrighteousness in them that perish. And why? Because, Paul said, they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. You see, we have to be willing to take a truthful view of things in order to see the light and to be saved. We have to be willing not to call darkness light. We have to be willing not to call evil good. But that's happening so much today. And so Paul said, for this reason, that they refuse the love of the truth, the consequence is that God is going to send on people strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And these deluded individuals will perish because they rejected the truth and they actually are taking pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, these are very serious words and yet we need to pay attention to them because Paul is giving us a clear warning to beware of deception. Let no man beguile you. And all the more so, believers must be watchful. And as Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Each one of us having our own independent and biblical convictions. The alternative media is warning us that more pre-planned crisis events are about to be staged. Coming up next month, for example, is the World Economic Forum's very ominous war game that is being designed to simulate a global cyber attack on vital infrastructure. Such a cyber attack would lead to a shutdown of the global supply chain, or at least the supply chains within certain nations. So the question has to be asked, why are all of these dry runs of catastrophes, pandemics happening? Why is the world straining to shift into a new paradigm of a globalist agenda. The Bible's answer is that God is allowing everything to happen because we have entered the biblical time period known as the birth pains of Messiah. 
All the upheaval, all the crises point to the soon return of Jesus to rule this rebel planet. But the second coming of Jesus is the furthest thing from the minds of the globalists. They've been spending decades working to create a world in which every human being on earth is branded with a digital ID. And meanwhile, the 27-nation European Union has unveiled plans for a so-called Great Reset digital ID wallet. It's part of their post-pandemic recovery strategy that involves accelerating a shift to the online world. Now, in times past, young people were often abused by child labor. Nevertheless, too many of our youth now are wasting their valuable time on video games and various apps. The China-owned social media TikTok is a video sharing app that allows users to create and share 15-second videos on all sorts of topics. This video sharing social media has grown rapidly to accumulate billions of downloads to date. But according to Forbes magazine, people should have no illusions that beneath TikTok's seemingly innocent exterior is a public danger. You see, if you know nothing about cybersecurity, Forbes magazine advises you to trust the number of analysts who have been warning to avoid TikTok like the plague. The United States Armed Forces have forbidden personnel from using it and describes it as a threat to cybersecurity. As well, the Israeli cybersecurity company Checkpoint has investigated TikTok and concluded that it has major vulnerabilities and backdoors as well as overall security issues. TikTok has been described by one CEO as spyware, a fundamentally parasitic app that's always listening. Several child advocacy groups say it poses a clear risk to children. And most sinister is its philosophy focused on the constant capture of all kinds of user data. TikTok has quietly rolled out a new privacy policy, allowing the Chinese company to automatically collect biometric identifiers and biometric information from its users' content, such as face prints and voice prints. Many believers are concerned that tracking systems and mandatory vaccines are forerunners of the dreaded end-time mark of the beast mentioned in the book of Revelation. However, the scriptures reveal that the ultimate Antichrist and his marking device cannot be revealed until a restraining order from God is removed. The restrainer that's holding back the anti-Messiah is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul wrote, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now restrains it will continue until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will slay at his coming. Even in Paul's own day, he was already seeing the beginnings of the apostasy and the arising of the spirit of the anti-Messiah. False brethren had given Paul a lot of grief. 
Many deceivers had already infiltrated the churches. But the man of lawlessness, the so-called anti-Messiah, is still a mystery, the Bible says, to be revealed in the end times. There have been many satanic antichrists throughout history, but Paul warned that a great apostasy will precede the revelation of the final anti-Messiah, the man of sin, who will oppose and exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he will even dare to seat himself in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now this verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 in the New Testament about the anti-Messiah seeking to enthrone himself in the temple is a guarantee that a third temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Theologians have offered many suggestions for the ID of the restrainer that's currently holding back the revelation of the anti-Messiah. Suggestions by scholars are the church is holding him back or the Holy Spirit or governments or police. Even some have suggested the Archangel Michael. But the context here in 2 Thessalonians 2 suggests that it is God himself who decides when to remove his own restraint on Satan. And after God's restraining power is removed, Satan and the powers of darkness will have their ultimate heyday. The context of this passage implies that something powerful and supernatural will have to be removed in order for the anti-Messiah and Satan to have their way. And I believe the best explanation is that when the Lord's bride, the true church made up of born-again believers filled with the Holy Spirit, when the church is suddenly removed by God, during the event known as the rapture or the great snatch, the great catching away of believers, then both the church and the influence of the Holy Spirit within the church will be removed and evacuated. And this evacuation, this translation of Bible believers will certainly create a sudden vacuum, making room for the revelation of the anti-Messiah and the vacuum will also make way for an exponential increase in lawlessness worldwide. The floodgates of evil will just be open wide. So we have to behold both the goodness and the severity of God to our world. God's goodness sent us the Savior, but God's severity also demands that sin and rebellion be judged. There's an immense delusion on the subject of the severity of God, and that's why we must rightly divide, we must rightly handle and consider all Bible verses on both the love of God as well as the severity of God. For example, the so-called ex-evangelicals are leaving the church because they don't approve of the severity of God when it comes to sin. Others, on the other hand, are deluded in believing that God's only attribute is love. They welcome every kind of sin into the church. And so to their peril, they disregard the Bible's teachings on law and sin. They disregard the fact that God's face is always set against evil without exception. Well, during this time of growing delusion and deception, it's important that 
we as believers remain focused and balanced on the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. But along with God's severity, there is goodness and mercy, which, of course, is the glory of the gospel. We deserve condemnation for our sins, yet through the sacrifice and blood of Messiah, God grants us unconditional pardon. What a Savior. As Psalm 8510 proclaims, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Another growing area of delusion in our world today concerns the Lord's willingness to heal. There's been so much fear associated with mask wearing, social distancing, germs. A meme going around shows how people used to come to church for healing to receive the laying on of hands without plastic gloves or to receive the anointing with oil for healing. But now they've been told that they must first have their temperature taken and they must social distance like a leper and not touch anybody. One of the delusions we hear is that God is no longer healing today because people just don't see a lot of healing and miracles going on in some of these churches so full of fear. It's an untruth and a disloyalty to the promises of God to say that if people are not visibly being healed, that the power to heal is withdrawn or is not present. This can be likened to when a preacher preaches a salvation message and nobody raises their hand or comes forward to receive Jesus. So somebody might say the power to save wasn't present. Yet, when this gospel is proclaimed, the power to save is present. We can't go by what we see and by our senses. Our senses can be an unsafe guide to the reality of God's eternal word. And this word says that the Lord is a willing healer. When you find a Bible promise and declare it in faith over your life or over the life of somebody else, God says he sends that word and delivers them from destruction. And when it comes to healing and miracles, I am certainly not a cessationist. Cessationism is the erroneous doctrine that spiritual gifts such as healing and miracles ceased with the apostolic age, claiming that the Bible promises were legitimate only for the days of the apostles and now they have been withdrawn that just boils down to unbelief. To claim that God's power has ceased hinders the progress of the gospel. Because this Bible clearly says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever if we will believe Him and His promises. And since God Almighty is the one who heals, we should take the liberty, as we are directed by the Holy Spirit, of course, to have the faith to pray for people with all kinds of sicknesses, looking to God to stretch forth his hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders as he's promised. Let's choose to believe that God honors our faith at all times. Amen. Now, a further sign of growing delusion is the increase of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Concerning God's family tree, Paul wrote, 
in Romans 11, and if some of the branches be broken off and you Gentiles being a wild olive tree were grafted in amongst them, then we former Gentile believers ought not to be high-minded. How can we be arrogant that we find ourselves by the grace and mercy of God grafted into his family tree by adoption? Our duty as believers is not to boast and certainly not to despise or insult our Jewish patriarchs in the faith, but to pray for them and support them, remembering that formerly we were pagans. We were wild, uncultivated, and unfruitful olive branches. And Paul says here, but if you are arrogant, remember that it's not you who support the root, but the root supports you. And you will say then, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. So, Paul says, don't be conceited, but fear. And why does he say fear? Because he explained, for if God didn't spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So we better make sure that we are legitimate. We have to examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. And he says, don't be arrogant towards the natural Jewish branches. That's anti-Semitism. That's replacement theology. And I've often pondered this verse in Romans 11:22, where the apostle Paul declared this sweeping truth. Behold, therefore, the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. What an admonition. We as believers are to take on board that God is good and kind, but he is also severe because he is just and he is true. As 1 John 1, 5 declares, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now we believers from the nations have been grafted into God's family tree and we enjoy the blessings of his covenant. However, we are very dependent upon the grace and mercy of God as are the Jewish people. So don't think highly of yourself. High-mindedness is a dangerous sin. Recently, a certain man boasted that he claimed to be the number one evangelical leader in the world due to his Facebook following. But I prefer the humility of a pastor whom we recently met in Florida. He described himself on Facebook as just a sinner saved by grace who's trying to get some things done for the Lord before the rapture occurs. So let's follow the example and admonition of the Lord who said, learn of me. Jesus said, be humble and lowly in spirit like himself. And consider how God resisted and judged the proud in the Bible. Pride banished a third of the angels out of heaven. Pride hanged Haman upon his own gallows. Pride made King Nebuchadnezzar crawl on the ground like a beast for seven years. And in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, we see that these things happen 
and were recorded by way of example. They were written in the Bible for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. There's yet too much arrogant pride in the church concerning the nation of Israel. The delusion in the body of Messiah concerning Israel and the church can be cleared up by knowing this word from cover to cover. In fact, the Bible speaks of just three categories of people, Jews and Gentiles and the church of God. The third category, the church of God, consists both of Jews and former Gentiles who have been grafted into God's family tree of salvation by faith. And together, they have become the one new man in the earth. The church as a body of called out believers first came into existence after the resurrection of Jesus and on the day of Pentecost. We have to understand that up to that time, the church was a yet unknown mystery. The Lord's mystical body, the church, will continue to be filled up by ones called out of the world until the full number of the Gentiles is saved, Paul said in Romans 11, and brought into the church. Therefore, we have to get this straight. Israel is distinct from the church, and the church is distinct from the nation of Israel. The church is even distinct from the tribulation saints in Revelation chapter 7. You see, there is a biblical time period called 70 weeks in the book of Daniel. And these 70 weeks of years were pronounced upon the people of Israel. Daniel 9.24 says, 70 weeks, or literally 77s, are decreed for your people and for your holy city, that is Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, these 70 weeks of Bible prophecy and history do not belong to the church. They belong exclusively to the nation of Israel. And 69 of those 70 weeks have already been fulfilled in Israel's history, spanning from the decree to rebuild the temple until the time that Messiah the Prince was executed and cut off. Now remains one week of seven years in the prophetic equation that Israel must fulfill in the future. And at that time of the final 70th week, Israel will recognize King Messiah and the nation will be redeemed. Jeremiah 37 calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. And although the church has endured plenty of persecution throughout her history, the time of Jacob's trouble is unique to Israel. But in the future, God's word guarantees that Israel will be redeemed and regrafted into God's family tree. We're living in the time when the Gentiles are grafted in. This is the age of the church. And presently in our generation, the church age is overlapping with the rising, reconstituted nation of Israel. You see, Israel's history was put by God on pause at the point of their unbelief in Messiah. But at the point of the rapture of the church, Israel will be grafted back into God's family tree. 
Paul wrote in Romans 11:25, "Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, so that you will not be conceited." He said a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Forever? No. A partial hardening has happened until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. The fullness of the Gentiles speaks of the church's completion. And this and then verse 26 all Israel will be saved. At the rapture, the church will meet Messiah in the atmosphere, but at the second coming, King Messiah will return to earth with his bride, the church. Look at these differences. At the rapture, the Lord comes in the atmosphere and his feet don't touch down on the Mount of Olives, but at the second coming, the Mount of Olives is split when Jesus touches down. The rapture is imminent when Jesus comes suddenly to take his bride to his father's house. It's an event that does not require any preceding sign. Whereas the second coming of Jesus to earth to reign has many distinct signs. At the rapture, the earth will continue, albeit in the midst of great confusion and delusion. But at the second coming, the earth will be transformed. At the rapture, the world is not judged. But at the second coming, sin is judged. At the rapture, the rule of Antichrist is triggered, whereas at the second coming, the reign of King Messiah is triggered. So as we see the world evolving into the delusion of Karl Marx's vision of a world without God, the promise of the Lord's return grows more precious by the hour. Jesus said in Matthew 24, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, he said, you know that summer is nigh. And so likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. How fascinating that if you rightly divide the word of God, we also read these words about the fig tree in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 13, where it says the fig tree puts forth her green figs. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Amen. Maranatha. Well, as we see many troubling signs all around us, I want to thank the Lord for the blessed hope that we have the blessed hope that he is coming soon to rescue the godly. I thank the Lord that he's still calling out a people from amongst the nations, even now to himself. And I hope and pray that you are one of them. Every one of our broadcasts gives me hope that yet another soul may be saved while there is still time. It's vital that you have renounced all sin and received the Savior for yourself. There's so much more to share with you. For example, we publish a free ministry magazine called Exploits with articles about healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy, and end-time events. We also offer you a 24-7 library of video teachings at our website, exploits.tv. And if you've been helped by this program, I'd love to have you encourage me by contacting me on social media. And why not subscribe to our YouTube channel? We'd be so happy to see you there in your comments. 
And we invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. It offers information about our videos, our eBooks, and a Bible reading plan. Our newest eBook is Appointment in Petra. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha, and Shalom.